0: Welcome to Collective View Live, a series of talks with artists, writers, and thinkers produced by Shuffle Collective. To learn about our network for creative professionals, as well as our other programming, visit us at shuffle.do. This week, a conversation on the future of the MFA, hosted by author, educator, and literary editor Maya Jeffra. This conversation was recorded live at Shuffle Collective's Literary Festival, Weekend of Words, in May 2020.
1: The panel today is the future of MFA. And I think just looking at that phrase, we can immediately find so many points of entry. I mean, the future and MFA, which... For many of us, even if we have one, it's still kind of a curiosity as to what it is. So we have uh, three people who should give us a little bit of insight into these kind of definitions and conceits and maybe even begin to imagine what the future is. And so what I would like to do is introduce them and then we will begin with some questions. So the folks we have today, our first is Lale Kadevi, who was born in Iran. She lives in Northern California and is the director of the MFA program at USF. We also have Stephanie Young, who is the director of creative writing and graduate programs at Mills College. And then lastly, we have Nona Kaspers. She is a professor of creative writing at San Francisco State University and served as chair. Please welcome all of them. So why don't we get started with just the initial question of where are we at currently
2: okay so well we're 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 in a pandemic that's where we're at it feels like the future to me like we've all stepped into this speculative fiction novel and in our in our mfa at san francisco state as all over we have these days where it was like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? We're still having some of that. And how all this way of of teaching that that our that in our MFA program all the professors, all the teachers were, you know, used to being physical in the body, in the classroom, having this live transmission kind of experience, and this spontaneous combustion is allowed to happen within that. They started Stepping into a world in which they were talking to screens, you know, doing everything on Zoom and just transitioning their bodies, their minds, their spirits to this whole other way of teaching. And I think, you know, they really have this sense of teaching as an art form, as do I, and it has been very both destabilizing. And I've watched that both with the students and the teachers and disorienting and a weird dislocation of time and space. And also, I've been pretty impressed at the students and the faculty overall at how they've tried to create some sense of stability for each other and had to recreate Their courses in a very short amount of time and just really step back and go, okay, what do I do now? So we're in this liminal space, and I would say people are pretty exhausted, and people overall did a really wonderful job. But pandemic isn't one pandemic. I hate it when people say, excuse me, pardon me, we're all in the same boat. I'm like, no, we're not in the same boat. We may be in the same ocean, pandemic ocean, we can call it the The ocean of pandemonium, but we're not in the same boat. I'm in an extremely fortunate position. I'm tenured, I'm a professor, I'm a chair, I own half of a place, I've lived in San Francisco for 30 years, I'm I'm secure, and I have watched all the rocking going on, that's brought up a big question, the rocking of employment with students, I mean, I teach at a state university, the rocking of housing, the having to go home, which is a very different story for first generation students, some of them, many of them, very diverse, one of the most diverse universities in the country. So it's just, it's affected everybody differently. And then the big question that came up, and I don't know if this is a question for the future, but it's maybe for the near future. What is the role of educator for the holistic, the holistic view of a student? For their financial health, for their economic health, their family health, their, because all of that creates what can be considered education and art, and what we, what, how that can even be received.
1: So Nona's going for a lot of these more kind of foundational aspects of education at large. Yes, and Lale, how about the circumstance at USF?
3: Well, a lot of what Nona described was very familiar. I mean, we left for spring break in the beginning of March, and some people left for AWP. And then spring break was over, and the world had changed completely. Like, it was crazy. Everybody said goodbye to each other in the flesh, and then thought they were going to come back into the classroom, and no one came back into the classroom and yet i found that both the faculty and the students because everything was around them was so uncertain and the scaffolding and sort of collapsed that everyone clung to the thing that they are passionate about which is teaching or you know their process of becoming a writer and we had students who had you know spotty attendance who were like the most present students online <laughs> And we had issues in pedagogy or whatever that were just ironed out by the sheer necessity of communicating and sort of being in community with one another. Like no one was taking that for granted anymore. People had signed up for the MFA and they were now because their jobs were falling apart, their living situations were becoming slightly more insecure. I've seen a lot of adolescent bedrooms, you know, like, things are becoming more essential. And the students show up to class, and they're like, this is actually what I want to be doing when the world ends. So let me just do that. And I have found it oddly, besides everything being kind of crap, and my eyes hurting from the computer and the rest of it, like, I found it kind of inspiring. And so when Anush approached me about this panel, I was like, that's very fascinating. I would love to talk about this because I think there's some opportunities here. And I think that the university structure that all of our programs are nestled in is going to change wildly. And I personally don't believe that the MFA in writing has any business in being a university to begin with. So like, I'm thinking, okay, this is an opportunity to like exit academia and go to the art place that I feel like we really belong. But I was, I was just... I don't know, smitten by the show of hearts and minds that has happened in the last three months. You know, I'm full-time homeschooling two kids right now who are very young, and there's all kinds of interesting pedagogy and understanding that, but they too go to their teachers. You know, they're three and seven, and it's like, we're not going to stop learning, and we're not going to stop teaching. Like, this communication is going to become very, very important in the future.
1: Interesting. Well, I definitely want to come back to a couple of those questions too. But before we do, Stephanie, can you give us a lowdown at Mills?
4: Yeah, 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 (laughs) absolutely. Hey, everybody. So yeah, a lot of what Nona and Lale said really resonate with what's happening at Mills. I actually just started reading Severance this morning by Ling Ma, which if anybody has read it, like thinking about the speculative novel that we're in, highly recommend. It's so good. (laughs) But it's basically a, it's a, It's a pandemic moment. But I'm thinking a lot about, Nona, what you said about, like, we're not all in the same boat and the unevenness of this experience. And I think one of the things that I've been the most impressed with at Mills, watching this kind of completely bumpy but kind of also beautiful and interesting transition to online pedagogy is the amazing resilience of students who are negotiating, moving across the country, caring for family members who are ill. Like it's just been endlessly remarkable to me what kinds of levels of precarity that students are living through. For me at least, that's always one of my first questions is thinking about the economics of the university and the MFA inside of it. But I feel like something's been revealed quite starkly about the unevenness and about the economic precarity that a lot of students are living in and so, that's my big question for the future of the MFA is, can we see any way towards a more cooperative moment where that economic structure might shift in some way? Um, I mean, I guess the other, the two things I want to say is the shift to online has been super interesting. I think at the same time, it's also revealed uh, the extent to which students are interested in being together in embodied spaces. <laughs> <laughs> I know at Mills, I don't know what other folks are doing. It's kind of fascinating to me. We um, just launched something called a flex MFA, which is where you could move in and out of something that looked like a low res semester, which you could be local and do it, right? It could be that you, for whatever reason, like maybe you're working full time, or maybe you're like, I just really want to work with one mentor and not be in the workshop for a semester and get some sort of that one-on-one feedback, because we're thinking a lot, too, about both the possibility and the limits of the workshop. So we would launched this thing that was available that you could move in and out of flexibly. So you could go IRL one semester and then go flex. And so we were sort of like, oh, we're perfectly positioned, right? There's going to be people who want to start, but who can't move across the country, say, in the fall, right? And it's re- and I think there'll be a little bit of that, but I, what I've really heard is people want to be together. And I've heard that from continuing students as well. So I'm just thinking about that over, you know, the last five to 10 years, especially in the Bay Area, where in the techno, optimist, futurist, what you know, whether it's like the MOOC, which I'm like, no, or any any other number of things. There's been a lot of optimism about online education, and I think this moment we're like everybody's suddenly in it in this deep, gritty way. I think we're going to figure something out and we're also seeing its limits. So I'd be curious too, what folks are doing. Our plan at Mills for the fall is that we're planning on a low density social distance semester in part because our campus is really big and green, and our classes are pretty small, and we think we can do maybe eighty percent of our classes. IRL, depending on what the health department says and whether we're in shelter or place with the, with the understanding that we may have to, again, transition everything over. And people are still down for it. That's the other thing. Like, Lolly, what you were saying, people are like, this is what I want to do for the end, when, you know, the end of the world. Um, I'm like, that's true. I think that, that people, this is what people want to be doing through what they're doing, which is becoming writers. But I'll be, I mean, it just feels so hard to think about this particular future of tw- the 2021 academic year, what it looks like. Are we being foolhardy to try to plan something that's in person that may have to radically shift? So I'd be curious to hear if others are, are, are planning on a digital or some kind of hybrid. I mean, I think Mills is pretty particular based on our geographic location on our campus. So like what might be possible, but like, what the fuck is a workshop on Zoom? <laughs> that, that's kind of the toggle I'm in.
1: Just wondering to follow up with what um, Stephanie was talking about with the circumstance of Mills. I mean, USF is obviously a larger private school in a slightly more situated urban environment. And then certainly San Francisco State is gigantic. How are the administrations at this moment approaching what's going to happen in the fall? Have they talked about it?
3: Yeah, as Stephanie said, it's pretty uncertain. Everybody wants to come back to campus. Like that's the traditional university model. I mean, Plato and Socrates talked together, you know, like this is how Western education has gone for years. So the bodies on campus is a priority for many of the universities and no one really knows what the spread rate is going to be in August or what the sort of capacity for us to keep our distance in a classroom is going to look like. I know that I've heard people in other departments say they're willing to teach classes in the gym because then you can guarantee, I mean, granted our classes are all much smaller you know, because we're MFA, but like if you have a big English seminar, 40 people, 60 people, the distance you have to have between them is enormous. I think pragmatically everyone is heading in with the optimism of meeting on campus in August and also getting ready once the next wave of infections comes in the fall to hop right back online. Should that be necessary? You know, it did have its drawbacks, but it worked in some ways, especially in the beginning because we were able to be physically in class together in the the start of the semester. And so we got to see each other, as I told my students, like, we got to smell each other. We got to, like, <laughs> kind of know each other a little bit. And then so when we got online, it wasn't terrible. But starting online, I think, would have a kind of brutalist aspect to it.
2: Yeah, this is really interesting because we have undergraduate, we have a BA, MA, and MFA in the creative writing department. And we have process courses and workshop courses and the MFA small, the MA is small classes but because we're lodged in the big there there came up all these questions of well then they'd have to come in and clean the building or how how many students could be on campus at the same time and you know there's so many questions i go to these lca chairs meetings and university chairs meetings and i'm just i i walk out and i'm thinking wow these details are mind-blowing. Things that I would never think about that they have to think about. The administration, you know, they're thinking about it, just in sheer numbers. But what Lolly brought up that I thought was really interesting that has also been a conversation at at, uh, SF State is because we started out together, it made a big difference. And so the teachers are all saying, could we start in person? I would really like to start in person. But then the university is starting to talk about, well, but if we're gonna have that movement online, it can be so destabilizing. Are students gonna come back? Do they come back and try to get housing? Do the students moving here from other places, the new MFA students, do they move here? How do they plan their lives, not knowing whether it's gonna be online or not online? So the university is starting to ask, Please think about if your classes can go online, they don't want to rock the students more. And I get that. Meanwhile, the teachers are like, oh, couldn't we just start in person? But I don't know if the university is going to feel like that's safe enough for such a big place. Because we have the art classes, right? They might get priority for taking over room space. I don't really understand how they're going to figure it out.
0: This conversation is produced by Shuffle Collective. Learn about our network for creative professionals at shuffle.do.
1: Some of this sounds very much like the model of a low-res MFA, what we're talking about here, this idea of you meet in person and then things kind of onload or online and this distance learning model is engaged. And we do know that in the last... You know, 10 years, there's been a proliferation of the low res MFA. I guess just to juxtapose our current situation of the pandemic with this phenomenon that has already begun, do you see the pandemic kind of undermining the efficacy of the low res MFA? As many of you say, the students are kind of wanting to be in person, or do you think maybe there will be improvements on the low res MFA model as a result of the pandemic?
3: I taught at Goddard, which is a low-res MFA, for two years. And when the pandemic happened, I thought a lot about Goddard and the model they were using, which is a pretty standard. You meet twice every year for 10 days, you bond physically, and then you go off and you write in contact with one single professor, person, mentor, instructor, and... They attract a different kind of student. Like this is before, I don't know what it's gonna be now, but the low res model attracts someone who is unwilling to move their life to another city and start from scratch, who's not as interested in the social community engagement aspect, who has a project and they just wanna kind of get down to it. And that's a kind of MFA student. And low res programs, I think, are perfect for them. I find in the non low res programs, there's students who are really craving community who haven't really found their feet totally as artists and who are looking towards the community to help them do so. And these programs are more expensive because they are ground-based. You get to go to readings with people. You get to bounce your ideas off these people you meet. And that happens not just for 10 days, but for like, you know, two years. So the education keeps happening in the aftermath of the class itself. So I think that this, as Nona mentioned, having some sort of ideas about the future of an art program or an MFA in which there is physical engagement and then going away to do the work and then physical. But I have been thinking a lot about Goddard and about what the students got from that program and how it worked. And it, to me, it comes down to different kinds of students. Like I may maybe Stephanie's experiencing with the applicants for the FLEX model. Their needs are slightly different. They're on a, maybe a different path.
4: Yeah, it's interesting to me because we really envision that being more it's not a it's not like you opt into something, right? It's something that actually feels much more like the moment that we're in where people are gonna be moving between lots of modes. So I don't know, I mean, this again comes back to like the MFA being nestled inside of an economic model that wants the MFA to make money. I mean, and I think we're already seeing this across all sorts of, I've seen tons of articles about this where students are like, I don't wanna pay the price, the same price, if I'm gonna be getting curriculum delivered online, it's not the same thing. Can a university model survive? If it, if it suddenly has to lower all the tuition, probably not. Hey, Mimi, I saw you're in the chat The question about like, is anybody interested in thinking about the MFA future, not pandemic? And I don't like, I right now feel actually unable to because the pandemic feels both like it's going to build on sort of the profound economic problems inside of higher education that have been accelerating since 2008. And I'm worried, I I feel both like worried and potential about what this moment might do. I think we'll probably see a lot of the small privates close. We're already seeing that happen. I think we're probably going to see a lot of consolidation of institutions. And and then it's we're gonna have the same set of questions about like who has access, what does it cost, who gets what for what money. <laughs> and those questions feel like I don't know how any of us inside of these larger structures have capacity to push back up on those questions. I think to varying degrees we do and we don't, but those feel like they're really pressing questions for me, for sure. And I also think this question about like, oh, there's been the the non-low res student and the low-res student, I think we might see something more like, we, there's an NFA student, and they have both varying needs and various access points, and the person who might have been six months ago um, interested in moving, now conditions are not such that they can move. So how can that student still access the community? And I think the question will be, how in the world do we build and create community that looks like the non-low-res model inside of these kinds of screens and these kinds of movements?
2: I love that question because that, I think, is what we're working with. That's what all the teachers are asking in a way. How do we create? And technology will change, we will evolve, the technology will evolve, but how do we keep the soul of the MFA, keep the soul of face-to-face, whatever can be kept? Or how, how do we translate? How do we translate community to online community i guess i just really always fear that the pressures of capitalism are just going to keep reducing the arts the mfa into smaller and smaller boxes and i mean if we can get your money but we don't have to house you in a building or we don't have to worry about you we don't have to give as much financial aid we don't have to have classrooms We don't have to pay teachers to move here. We don't have to convince teachers to move here by giving them special packages. And, you know, we have to really think about, well, who can afford to move to the Bay Area and live on a state university professor's salary? I mean, I have questions like that, how we can keep the pressures at Bay. We're not keeping them at Bay now. I mean, there's always this question of, well, if your enrollment drops and your money drops, then everything starts to drop. And it's like, okay, so what classes are drawing students? And so that's what I fear, that it's just gonna become more and more corporatized education. So the MFA becomes just part of all that even more.
1: It's like, you know, the issues around late capitalism and how they're affecting the university as an institution and also as an economic machine is maybe in the subtext of what Lale was mentioning earlier, that perhaps the MFA program has no business being in the university setting. So maybe, Lale, could you expand on that a little bit? Because that will definitely be more a general future that both is within and outside the purview of the pandemic.
3: I've been sort of receiving or teaching in an MFA program for the last 18 years, which is some time to see the changes that have taken place. But I think about what an MFA is. So it is a degree, right, from a university and for allowing you to access teaching jobs. And then if you have a book, it allows you to access more teaching jobs. And so there's a combination of making literature that gets you a book and then getting this degree and the two go hand in hand. And we're able to maybe tell students that with these two things, you are able to you know, get employment and health insurance and be the creative person you want to be. Such is the dream. <laughs> I don't actually think that the, the degree is that necessary. I don't think that we have to be in a accredited university setting to make books. I mean, books are made out of like a million things that can't even be spoken of, much less itemized or, you know, stuck into somebody's budget. And if we were to respect the process of writing in that manner. Then people would leave smaller programs, perhaps certificate programs that also have a teaching component to them, and they would be able to teach, and they would also be able to really focus on their work. And the, the institutions themselves, institution is too big of a word, but I can't think of a... The hobbit houses that I am envisioning for the future of the MFA are going to not be beholden to this larger capitalist consumer oriented model. You know, the fact that my salary, irrelevant of everything else, and how much a student gets for financial aid is dependent on how our basketball team does is insane to me. You know, it's just the truth of the way it is. And then there are students who apply to go to MFA programs who have really good football teams, and those students get full rides. You know, it's just that relationship is just very bizarre. And I think artists have come together to learn from each other and to study and to negotiate for a really long time. And these sort of smaller systems with mentors and mentees, and that all changes over time, are kind of like what I envision the future of making art. I don't know that people need to have a degree. Most of the students I teach now who graduate go on to get PhDs because they feel like they have to have that to teach. It used to be that an MFA was enough, you know? Um, And I know that Catapult has a model that's really great where you can take a four month course with someone and just be in dialogue with the community of the journal, et et cetera. Like that's along more of the lines of what I'm thinking, but I can't really figure out, and I would love it if Nona and um, Stephanie could help me, what the university is doing for us.
2: I mean, I think the essence of what goes on in a charged, wonderful MFA class could happen anywhere, but the university is like a place where it is happening and you don't have to create it yourself you know, you don't have to create your own model. There it is. But then, right, the conundrum, the paradox is that the thing that gives it life, that essence and exchange of art, art between artists, the possibility, becomes the marketplace. So then it's like there's always these two things going on at once that are opposed in a way. Anybody mind if I read an essay from someone who, I don't have anything brilliant to say, but Toni Morrison this morning, I read this essay, and I think it's pertinent to what we're talking about. And she says, When our fears have all been serialized, our creativity censured, our ideas marketplaced, our rights sold, our intelligence sloganized, our strength downsized, our privacy auctioned, when the theatricality, the entertainment value, the marketing of life is complete, we will find ourselves living not in a nation, but in a consortium of industries and wholly unintelligible to ourselves except for what we see is through a screen darkly. I would love to have the Hobbit Houses and for them to be able to thrive outside the marketplace. And and yet, it's hard for me to even imagine that other than in small, like Matthew Davison, who does the lab on his own. He can't make a living. He also is a lecturer mm-hmm. at San Francisco State and an excellent teacher.
3: I mean, I realize they're very impractical. I think that something that you were saying, Nona, made me kind of consider the idea that, like, The university is ultimately, ideally, super supportive of the arts that are embedded inside of it, in the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, we're also the most vulnerable programs inside of the corporate system, right? Because we don't serve capitalism in the same way. But- There's a negotiation and there's always like a back and forth. And there's a regard, at least I feel at USF, for the writers and for the visual artists and for the dancers, because they understand what enriches a bigger community. And these are all like the noble ideals that everyone sets out to follow. And I think a pandemic is going to test a bunch of noble ideals. And so I think it's up to us as programs and as people who enjoy teaching to figure out other modes in which to teach. When I think about the future of MFA, I don't think of it as... I think of it in my students' eyes, but I also think of it in my own eyes. Like, what do I want to be doing as the world ends? Like, I do want to be teaching. That seems like a good thing.
1: So, Stephanie, how attractive is the Hobbit House for you?
4: I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking, like... I, of course. Who could argue against the Hobbit House? (laughs) I'd have to be a monster to argue against the Hobbit House. Yeah, I I love the the idea of the guild, the idea of gathering outside the university. I mean, I think there's some way that we've all been sold some kind of weird bill of goods that the way to become an artist is through the university, which is not. A, a story that's very old or very you know, these programs have only existed for a very short period of time in the grand scheme of literature with a capital L. I, I'm also sure that it's I mean for like the last 10 to 15 years I've i I've been sitting and talking to students and saying, you know, there's no jobs out there. Meanwhile, I'm employed in in a job and there are of course some jobs, but they're mostly crap. I think one way we might see things shift dramatically is if this is like the end of the tenure job for everything except for like the you know, elite institutions, whether it's like the R1s or the Ivys or the institutions with lots of endowment, then that might be the end of the MFA. We could imagine that being the end of the MFA. I've been, I mentioned this on Instagram stories when I was talking about this event today. Uh, My friend Juliana Aspar and I, we always like, we write things when we're confounded, and we um, just wrote this essay. I don't know if it's going to come out anywhere, but our idea was a new deal for higher education, which I think there's something that we've become so... We're just like, this is the corporate model we've been given. This is what education is. It's no longer a public good. Like, we're just sort of, let's get let's leave it. Let's go to a hobbit house. It's over. Um, but we were like, what if there was, like, a GI bill for... Anybody who was unemployed due to COVID, what if the government suddenly like infused a huge amount of money into education so that it was free? Or if you made less than $150,000 a year, which is the cutoff for those stupid stimulus checks. And what if suddenly like the consolidation that we're probably going to see where we lose the middle schools and we keep the top, because those are the places where tenure remains, where all sorts of good compensation remain are at the very top. But what if we created like a large consolidated system that was free? (laughs) What would happen then? Um, I I had no problem with the MFA remaining inside of a large consolidated system that's free, that values, as you say, like there's plenty of people who value the arts inside of higher ed. And the other thing I would say is that there's certainly like a long tradition of the kind of poet scholar figure. And I think poets have for a long time, like not just because you can only get a a job if you have the PhD in lit as well, and you could maybe get the generalist position, the one of 10 that are available on the market that year, but that there's been interest in being like, what does it mean to be a scholar of literature, somebody who's thinking about literature at the same time that they're making it. I can think of so many poets who I admire who've done that for a long time and where that relationship hasn't been a terrible one.
2: I mean, that socialist, socialist education. Wouldn't that be something if that were the future of the MFA and the future of education? I mean, it's hard for me not to go to whole education. One, my mother was pulled out of school in the eighth grade. So I'm the first generation of high school, very working class family. So my whole life, there was this this sense of you have to get an education, you have to get an education. So education was so real on every level, not just to get a job, but of course to get a job, but like Education is what made you worthy. Education is what made you a human being worthy of respect in the world. Education is what gave you the language to talk about who you are and, and for other people to listen, you know, so I have a lot of complex passions around that. You know, in some way, I'm so happy that I'm in a university and I'm so happy for everything the university does for everybody everywhere, but it has just been changing a lot. I mean, I'm 60 years old, so since I started going to college as a first generation. So I have ideals left, but they exist within a sphere of influence of the classroom and the department. And I then just, you know, send off quotes like Toni Morrison to the dean and the associate dean now that I'm
4: a chair. Well, I just... I just think we know that in this moment when of high unemployment, high, like entrance into education often rises, right? But what would it mean for us to imagine a world in which that was let, had more equity? You know, the other thing I'm thinking about, I was talking to a student who was like, it's been really fascinating and horrible to watch the university suddenly Um, be able to offer accommodations that I have been asking for as a disabled student in various ways for a very long time, and the university being like, no, no, we can't possibly do that. And now suddenly, because pandemic, we can, right? Like, we're suddenly in an education model that's way more accessible for disabled students. And the university (laughs) maintained for years it couldn't do those things, and it can So I think it's like that, it's that sort of thinking, like, what else... Like, what else could be happening right now? Or like the university has a certain kind of like capacity for maybe uh, serving food in a food insecure moment. Like we have a farm that was started on mills and suddenly they're like, oh, we're going to do some CSA boxes for the folks who are living on campus. So I think there's some wily or to the side thinking that we just have become very hard to think that way because we've been stuck inside this model that's so increasingly corporate and so increasingly driven by tuition dollars. I think I'm desperate for a utopian any kind of utopian strand that could be possibly pulled through right now. Like what, I'm just looking, the chat is so interesting and I wish we had time to talk more, like thinking about Pamela's questions. Like people do want to teach, right? People want to teach and they want to teach for all the reasons we've been talking about and what does it mean for there to be still be vocations in teaching that can support people and again like those questions about what it means to be POC, what it means to be queer, is this a moment where access could change in some way?
1: Just as a last feeling just because we are we are wordsmiths. what kind of image do you see? I mean Lale has has the Hobbit house <laughs> you know this kind of collective, an apprenticeship model or at least, you know, a community-based workshop model that exists outside of the institution. Do you all have any dreams? I mean, Stephanie, you spoke of utopia, and even though we know those fail ultimately, we're artists. We still like to dream of them. So what is it, what could it look like?
2: Well, what Stephanie was saying and Lolly were saying, I mean, you were saying that they fail ultimately, but what doesn't fail and what's always going on are the things that, that do push through both in MFA programs and universities of any kind, things that do push through that always exist, like food programs, like the university now, they got all this open door money, getting food out there and getting all sorts of donations for laptops and getting those out there. Like suddenly there's all of this pushing through. And I like what you were saying that that can happen. So let's, let's look at that there's always counter motion right there's always counter motion at smaller levels and local levels of and that's going on everywhere so focusing on that and then saying how then could we not forget about this and keep this going to have the energy to do that
1: i feel like we could talk about this for an entire weekend maybe that maybe we just need to build the hobbit house and begin the forging through conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Lale Kadavi, Nona Kaspers, Stephanie Young. We really appreciate your voices.
0: This conversation was recorded live at Shuffle Collective's literary festival, Weekend of Words. To learn more about Shuffle Collective, visit us at shuffle.do. You can also find more information and links in the show notes.